Welcome to the History of Christianity, Episode 6. My name is Stephen Bedard. In this episode, we're going to look at Jesus, death, and resurrection. I've decided to start the story of Jesus' death and resurrection with what is commonly called the triumphal entry. That Jesus was entering Jerusalem was not all that remarkable. It was the time of the Passover, and Jews from all over were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. What was remarkable was the reason for his entry. Although there were Jews in the crowd who were hoping that Jesus would begin a revolt, they would overthrow the Romans, Jesus was in fact entering Jerusalem to die. Jesus was coming to conquer, but it would be a victory unlike what many were expecting. One of the things that Jesus did once in Jerusalem was to go to the temple. This is commonly called the cleansing of the temple. Before looking too closely at it, we need to consider the timing of it. The Synoptic Gospels place this story near the end of Jesus' ministry, while the Gospel of John puts it at the beginning. There are basically three options. Number one, the Synoptics are correct on the timing. Number two, John is correct on the timing. Or three, Jesus cleansed the temple twice. I know of some very respected New Testament scholars who believe that Jesus indeed performed this action twice, but I find their arguments unconvincing. What I believe is the case is that the synoptics are correct in the timing and that the cleansing took place near the end of Jesus' ministry. This does not mean that there is an error in John. Ancient writings, including the Gospels, were more interested in themes than in strict chronology. It's been observed that John portrays Jesus as the new temple, and so describing this event at the beginning nicely sets up that theme. A disturbance in the temple seems to make sense as one of the events to push the religious leaders to take direct action against Jesus. Why did Jesus overthrow the tables in the temple? Was there something wrong with having money changers or selling animals for sacrifice? There was a specific type of coin that was required for donations to the temple, one that most people did not have. Money changers were required to exchange the regular currency for the special coins. Regarding the animals, if you were coming to the temple from a significant distance, would you want to bring your animal with you the entire way, or just your wallet so you could purchase something closer to the temple? These activities were not just tolerable, they were necessary. The problem was with where they were doing it. There was an area outside the temple that had been set aside for this activity, but the people involved instead moved their tables into the court of the Gentiles. There were three courts in the temple, the court of the Jews, the court of the women, and the court of the Gentiles. By setting up their tables here, they were preventing the already limited access that Gentiles had to the temple. This is what made Jesus angry and what led to his trouble with some of the Jewish leaders. Speaking of Jesus' conflict with the Jewish religious leaders, some comments need to be made regarding them. There were three main sects within Judaism. There was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. The Essenes are not mentioned in the New Testament, but they were active at that time. They likely were responsible for the collection of writings known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Pharisees were focused on obedience to the Torah. To help in this, 
they developed something called the oral law, which helped put a fence around the written law so that it would be more difficult to break. The oral law was written down around 200 AD and is known today as the Mishnah. Although the basic theology of the Pharisees and Jesus was similar, including belief in the resurrection of the dead, Jesus had conflict with the Pharisees throughout his ministry. However, it should be noted that the Pharisees do not seem directly involved in his arrest and condemnation. After the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD, the Pharisees evolved into what we today know as Rabbinic Judaism. The Sadducees were the ones more active in handing over Jesus to the Romans to execute. The Sadducees were the aristocracy, and they were more open to collaboration with the Romans than the Pharisees. They were actively involved in the temple, and many of the priests, including the high priest, would be Sadducees. The Sadducees disappeared after the destruction of the temple, because without the temple, there was no need for their priestly role. The night before Jesus' death, he gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. With apologies to Leonardo da Vinci, they would not have sat in chairs at modern-looking tables. Rather, they would have reclined on cushions at a low table. Jesus used two pieces of the Passover meal, the bread and the wine, to help his disciples understand what was about to happen to him. The Last Supper, which became the inspiration for the Christian communion or Eucharist, is described in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as 1 Corinthians. Interestingly, Paul only mentions it in 1 Corinthians because the Corinthians were doing it wrong. After the meal, Jesus and his disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed. In this moving account, we see the most human aspects of Jesus as he is filled with dread of his coming suffering. This continues to be an encouragement for Christians as they go through their own suffering. It was at Gethsemane that a group sent by the high priest came to arrest Jesus. This was arranged with Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, who for forty pieces of silver agreed to hand over Jesus. While it was Passover, it was too dangerous for them to arrest Jesus in the midst of an excited crowd. But with the help of a paid-off insider, a secluded abduction could safely take place. The Sanhedrin found Jesus guilty of blasphemy, but there was not much they could do about it. The Romans had taken away the right to implement capital punishment. Jesus would have to be handed over to the Romans, but the charge of blasphemy was not going to work. The Jewish leaders sold their desire for Jesus' execution on his danger for creating political instability. Pontius Pilate, whose position was uncertain and who would eventually be removed from office, could not afford to have a religious zealot causing a disturbance. Jesus was found guilty and sentenced to death by crucifixion. Crucifixion was one of the most humiliating and painful forms of execution. It was meant to set an example of the condemned person by providing a long and public death. The shape of the wood on which they would be crucified could either be a simple vertical beam, a cross in the shape of an uppercase T, or the shape of a lowercase T, as is used in much Christian imagery. We do not know the exact shape of the cross in Jesus' crucifixion. Death came by asphyxiation as the person slowly weakened 
to the point where they could not raise themselves up for the next breath. Exposure and blood loss would also play a role. If the person was taking too long to die, the Romans might break the legs of the person to hasten the process, as was done with the people who were crucified with Jesus. In the Quran, there is a tradition that Jesus did not die on the cross. Rather, God only made it seem that he was crucified, possibly substituting Judas in his place. However, almost all non-Muslims accept Jesus' death on the cross. It's one of the surest events in human history. For many historians, the death of Jesus is where history must say its final word. The resurrection of Jesus, although a central doctrine of Christianity, is to be limited to theology and excluded from historical discussions. I disagree. It is true that judgments about the theological significance of the resurrection may be outside the realm of historical inquiry, but we can still look at the evidence. What is the evidence? Jesus died on the cross and was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. On the third day, the tomb was empty. While that alone may suggest that either the witnesses went to the wrong tomb or that the body was stolen, there is more evidence. People saw Jesus alive after the discovery of the empty tomb. I was once at a conference where New Testament scholar Gerd Ludemann argued that Peter hallucinated when he claimed to have seen Jesus and that this was based on his personal grief as well as the guilt he felt from having denied Jesus three times. While such a hypothesis could be possible if it was only Peter who saw Jesus, the truth is that many more than Peter saw the risen Jesus. The Apostle Paul shares some important information with us in 1 Corinthians 15. Not only is Paul writing at an early stage, probably the early 50s AD, he's actually quoting an earlier Christian tradition that could have originated within a couple of years of the events. This is what Paul said, For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. That's from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 7. Notice that over 500 people saw the risen Jesus, and Paul here is inviting people to go to Jerusalem to ask them about their experience. None of the competing theories are able to explain the evidence as well as the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If you want to learn more about this, I recommend Michael Lycona's The Resurrection of Jesus. According to the New Testament, Jesus remained on earth in his risen state for 40 days and then ascended to heaven. Thus ends Jesus' earthly ministry, but only temporarily, as Jesus promised to return at some point in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode. I encourage you to check out my website for other episodes as well as other resources and you can find them at hopesreason.com and you'll see a box for the history of Christianity. Thank you and God bless.